Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks for listening in on another episode. Or if this is your first time stopping by, I'm grateful to have you. This podcast is all about the getting started moments, the turning points that got each guest started on a new path toward happiness, the ups and downs of the journey, how they were able to commit to a change, and all the lessons learned along the way. I hope you all enjoyed this particular episode, so let's jump right in and get it started. On this week's episode, I welcome in an award-winning author, Jimmy Sony, to the podcast. His new book, The Founders, which launched on 2-22-22, explores the lives and early careers of the founders of PayPal. For this project, he was able to interview over 200 former PayPal employees, including Peter Thiel, Elon Musk, Max Levchkin, Reid Hoffman, and many others. His last book, A Mind at Play, How Claude Shannon Invented the Information Age, won the 2017 Newman Prize, awarded by the British Society for the History of Mathematics for the best book on the history of mathematics for a general audience, and the Middleton Prize by the Institute of Electrical and Electronics Engineers. His most recent work, Jane's Carousel, completed with the late Jane Valitez, captured one woman's remarkable 25-year journey to restore a beloved carousel in Brooklyn Bridge Park. Jimmy lives in Brooklyn, New York with his daughter, Venice. And I really enjoyed this conversation. I've got to know Jimmy a little bit. We actually launched our books on the same day, uh, which was kind of cool. We did a LinkedIn Live together, and um, he's just one of the coolest guys um, I've got a chance to meet on this podcast. Um, Really great story. Um, Just the amount of work that he put in to bring this book to life is unbelievable with all the interviews and parsing of data. And we go into a lot of this in the podcast um, as well as how he got started in writing and some of the uh, the neat things that he lear- learned along the way. So I hope you all enjoy this conversation. Without further ado, please welcome in Jimmy Sony. Jimmy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to have you. Um, we actually share a launch date, by the way. Uh, all right. <laughs> So my, I'm launching my, uh, I mean, this is a, this is a plug, but I, you know, for, I don't know if you've seen this. So my, uh, my second children's book actually on the 20th. Congratulations. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. 222, 22. I was like a palindromic sort of palindromic launch date. It doesn't come around very often. I was like, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And, uh, and so you have the founders coming out. So congrats on that. Uh, Thank you. That book. And I want to dive into that and, and especially learn a little bit more about that book and definitely the process. I thought we'd start off just because, you know, the, one of the fun things about the Just Get Started podcast is all the different guests that I've had on in, you know, these four plus years, they all come from different backgrounds and walks of life and all these different stuff. But the ones that are doing the things they want to do, the ones that are accomplishing things in life, um, have a passion for it, maybe it's a purpose for it. Um, they've discovered that over a period of time. So I want to start out with, I'm prepping you with that to, you obviously have written several books. It seems like writing is a passion of yours, something, maybe maybe you feel it's a purpose, right? It's something you, you're, you want to do. When did that become something that you enjoyed doing? Was that really early on in your life or did that take form as you grew older, maybe got into college and, and beyond? Oh, what a... What a great question. (laughs) What an an awesome lead off question. Um, I can answer it in in a few different ways. I would say that, you know, when I I have this memory from when I was like five or six and my family had immigrated to the United States, we moved to East Lansing, Michigan, uh, home of the Spartans. um, And I had, it was my first time in an American school. I had not, didn't speak English. My first language was French. My second language was Hindi. And then I learned English like when I was five and a half or whatever it was. And um, I don't have many memories from that, that period. It was like a hard, you know, you come here, you don't know anybody, you don't know anything, you don't even know the language. Um, I remember that this is such a funny thing. I've never actually shared this story like publicly, but I was in a class like, at some point where there was a project that we did and the project was assembling like a a tiny little book and, and you had to write what the book was. And then the teacher would like get the book laminated and they would make a cover out of it. And I still remember it was some elegant plot line around a bunny and some adventure that he had or something. Right. Mm -hmm. 
And I can't remember much from like four and five and six. Cause like I was moving and there's a lot happening. Um, I remember that book. I remember finishing it. And I, I just remember thinking it was so cool. Like I just remember, like, I like remember just thinking, wow, I did this. Like, this is a thing yeah, I did. Yeah. Right. So that was one thing. And then the second is not on the writing side, but on the reading side, I think a lot of people end up in writing because they just can't stop reading. And, and for me, like reading was a big, big, big part of my childhood. Like we didn't, so like we didn't have money. So we would go to the library, right? Like, and they had free summer programs and all the programs were around, like, how many books can you read this summer? And some of your listeners might remember, like at one point, Pizza Hut had this thing that they did with like schools and libraries were like, if you read a bunch of books, you got free pizza. And so like, imagine like as a kid, like you're, you know, one of your goals in life is like collect as Halloween, because uh, collect as much Halloween candy as you can. And like your second goal in life is eat, like eat as much as pizza as humanly possible. And so, so I was like reading all these books, winning pizzas. And then at some point, like habits just build character, right? And so you, you end up reading a lot, you fall in love with reading. And for me, when I was growing up, like there was this series by Brian Jacques, uh, the Moss Flower, Mayo series. It was like this adventure series. Mm. So like a fantasy series with like, like little animals as like the lead characters. I read every one of those books and I would wait at the library, like when the new one came in. So I was the first one to check it out. Right. And and it, what happens with a lot of like with a lot of reading, and this is what I, the, some of the advice I would often give to would be writers is just you have to read a lot. Like you just have to like understand how things sound in the ear and like really make sense of them. And so part of what happens is like that once you start to read a lot, you're like maybe I could do this. And then you have this sort of weird thing that happens where you start to write stuff, you get good feedback that encourages you to like do the next writing thing. You know, and that's all like just happening when you're a kid. Like for me, it was just like, oh, this is cool. And then your English teacher like puts an A on a paper and they're like, hey, like you're, you're okay at this, right? And I had this English teacher named Mr. Palmquist who changed my life because he was the guy who said, he sort of picked me out of the lineup, right? And was like, you might be good at this. You should do the more of this, right? And then took an interest in me. Um, uh, yeah. And then I started writing for like school papers, yearbook. And one thing led to another, I can only like, you know, it's been said, like, you don't only connect those dots looking backward, mm -hmm. but you know, you'd ask the question of like, was it something that I was passionate about? I would say I was passionate about reading and I became passionate about writing. Here's the thing. You asked a more specific question, which is, do you enjoy it? I'll be honest. I'm not sure I enjoy it even today. <laughs> like, I, like I need to get writing done and I enjoy having written. I don't like actually sometimes like staring at a blank page. I'm as terrified as anyone else. Yeah. Um, I think I, my self-consciousness around it is dialed up a couple clicks because English is my third language, not my first language. Mm -hmm. And so I always had this thing in the back of my head of like, wait, 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 wait. Am I like, did I hear something in my house that like doesn't actually make any sense, right? I'll give you an example. My parents don't say draw the blinds. They say close the blinds, right? Because like the translation from their language, it close is the right word, but close mm -hmm. is not the right word in English. And so I was always like hyper aware I'm like, oh my God, did I screw this up? But then when you have that kind of anxiety, if you apply it productively and don't go crazy, right? You can actually produce interesting, good stuff. Um, that's the mix that led me to this. I just always loved books. Like books are just a big part of my life. I, I'm assuming they're a big part of your life, your listeners' lives. Like for me, books were my way to understand America. They were like a free thing I could do that my parents let me do. And they like I could go on adventures, you know, like it's like the, all those like novels and things from Brian Jock were just like big, crazy adventures. <laughs> it's funny now we're thinking about this. I had this bad habit when I was a kid, you know, remember those choose your own adventure books? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So this like obviously reveals something psychologically, but I would dog ear the pages where you had to make a decision so I could go back and take the other decision and see how it ended up. Right. Um, but I read a lot of that kind of stuff. I read uh, Encyclopedia Brown was like one of my favorite kids like series growing up. Oh. Um, the Garfield comics. I was a big fan of the Garfield comics. So I was just, I would like would just read endlessly. Yeah. And that, yeah. that grew into writing as I think it does for a lot of people. Well, you know, it's, I wrote a couple notes down just to kind of interject. And one is, um, you know, I have a, a son that's nine. I think you have a daughter, right? Yeah, I have a daughter who's six. Okay. So you might be experiencing this. And I didn't really think about this because growing up, I read no books. Like I, I read when I had to read in school. And even that I did like the, you know, the, the speed reading type. 
um, who can get through it the quickest. (laughs) This is, I I don't know if I've ever told this story. This is actually, you'll find this hilarious. We had in fourth grade, I think it was Mrs. Davis, me and my best friend, Travis, we had this, uh, we were reading, I think it was Little House on the Prairie, if that's the right. And anyway, so like we were reading it as a class every day. And I just remember, I literally haven't remembered this for years, but we read the book, Little House on the Prairie. I think that was the the actual name. It was thick, right? We read it in like 10 days. Hmm. Not that because we were, we were like great readers, everyone else took a month to read it, but we were just <laughs> trying to speed read as quickly as you can. And then the teacher's like, all right, yeah, you guys take the quiz. And I remember like we did horrible <laughs> on it. And I'm like, eh, lesson learned. Um, but the reason I bring that up is like, I never read as a kid, but the last, let's say four years, I read, like, I think last year I read 18 books, which wow. is the most I've ever read in a year. And I, you know, the year before was a, a few less and, and so on and so forth. But the reason I bring that up is like my son, I got him into some chapter books and we'd read all the time at bed, like, you know, like the books yeah. I'm publishing, like the rhyming books, but uh, the chapter books and he just all of a sudden like them. And then he'd mm-hmm. ask for more. And, and there's some great series. You may, I'm going to look at that, the Brian Jock series, but like he, he's been reading like the, um, I don't, uh, do you know who Neil Patrick Harris is? Yeah. 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 So he has a fun, actually your daughter might like this. He has a phenomenal series called the magic misfits. Ah. I would absolutely recommend it. It's, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoy yeah. reading. It's a really, it's very well written. Um, yeah. but, but then that got him into like, you talk about the choose your own adventure. Actually, I just had uh, Dustin Brady on the, um, the author where uh, he wrote these like uh, escape from a video game type books there. I think it's yeah. called escape from a video game and trapped in a video game. Um, but it's similar. They, they choose your own adventure type. Um, so again, I think it's, you get that in the kids' hands and you start letting them, because the problem with our society is we can throw the iPad in front of them. And I think there's yeah. some benefit to the iPad. I, I really yeah. do believe it, but you have to give them an opportunity to say, I don't want to read. But right. all of a sudden, if you're like, Hey, 20 minutes reading today, we're gonna read for 20 minutes. I've said, Hey bud, 20 minutes, go read. And he'll be in there for an hour reading the book. Right. Right. Like he just blows through these books. I'm like, awesome. I would have never done that as a kid, but Hey, yeah. he enjoys it. So it kind of goes you know, back to, you know, just giving, you have to give that out. You seem like you had that opportunity as a kid, you latched yeah. onto it. And ultimately that maybe changed the trajectory of your life. Oh, it hundred percent did. I think the other thing is, um, so yeah, I have two, two thoughts. One is my parents never told me what to read or what not to read. Mm-hmm. So that's like an interesting thing, right? As I think back on it, like now having, actually not thought about it until two minutes ago (laughs) right you know i read like all the garfield comic books and you know one could one could say like oh that's not serious reading but like there's actually doing comics is hard um and i was just really into them i read but my parents never like looked at a book that i was reading and said you shouldn't be reading this or you should be reading this Mm -hmm. they never i mean honestly i don't even remember them like even asking that much it was just a hobby that I had that I maybe took to a little, little bit of an extreme. And it was something that I got into. The one thing they did do is they enabled it by giving me like a regular supply, right? So like a weekly right. trip to the library was like a part of our lives. And we would just kill like three or four hours at the library and then come back with a big bag full of books. And that was the entertainment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't that I didn't play video games and watch TV and hang out with friends. I just maybe read more than average because... I got the bug early and it was fun and I enjoyed it. And then the other part of it is it was competitive too. Like at a certain point, there's a competitive streak where I'm like, well, I, I do want the free pizza. <laughs> like, you know, I, I want this and uh, I'm going to read as many books as is necessary. The summer libraries actually were also interesting because they have summer reading programs where you're competing against other kids for like total numbers of books read. And I don't know how accurate any of that is. Right. But I remember also having this little bit of a bug of like, nobody's going to outread me. <laughs> I can, it's like a silly thing to measure, but I, I remember now feeling like I am going to be the best at this. And it was a weird thing to decide to be the best in, but it worked. Yeah. Well, and the thing is reading too, I know we're going down this rabbit hole, but I think it's, it's something I've learned over only over the last few years, like even having conversations like this, my vocabulary is better, still, still a little shoddy, but it needs some work, but vocabulary is better. I feel like I've, I learned so much more by reading different types of books. You get new ideas, new thoughts. It's like a different way of thinking versus just being kind of in the, 
oh, this is what I know. Or maybe if you like, you know, watch the same news station every day or something like that, like you only hear that in that echo chamber. So being able yeah. to broaden yourself with all these different types of books, it just makes you think different, you know? I would, so, you know, and I would go further now that we're on this, like it's yeah. one of the, I would say, so I'm a, understandably, I'm a big advocate for people reading, right? But that's right. actually like not that interesting a point. Plenty of people would say that. I would offer two kind of things that have helped me in my life. The first is there's a way in which like school and culture, they, they conspire to make you think that there are certain books you should be reading and other books you shouldn't be reading. Mm -hmm. But I think that's mostly nonsense. Like you shouldn't, you shouldn't want, like I have this, you know, there's always people who like will not read certain books because they maybe are like, quote unquote low brow or they're like in the grocery aisle right like the, mm -hmm. the the exit at the grocery store or whatever i don't i think of like sort of like read whatever you want to read like read it get it pick books that you actually want to pick up again and continue to move through whatever that is i don't it doesn't actually even matter what it is mm -hmm. it's like actually the mere act of reading which builds this momentum right mm -hmm. meaning just don't like i think people shouldn't be so precious about saying like i'm not going to read 50 shades of gray because it's no read it the person clearly put some thought into it. It was successful for a reason. Like you right. can learn something from it. I think of, of the muscle of reading is important to build no matter what the actual tool is that you use to build it. And then the second thing is, and this is like, so as a, as someone who writes, like you do have a different relationship with reading in some ways, like you, 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 especially when you're in the middle of a book, I actually don't read anything that's like outside of the book like ecosystem. And so I, I, at the end of a book, I feel really like lonely and sad because I'm like, wait, what am I going to read now? I can't like read these same three books over and over again. Um, I do 10 pages a day. I just, I have a book right now, uh, The Splendid and the Vile, which is about Churchill's pre-war, pre-World War II years. Like mm -hmm. actually not pre it's just before uh, the, the Germans bomb uh, the British islands. And I'm just doing 10 pages a day. I love the book, but if I, I feel like I have one, if I do 10 pages a day of anything I'm reading and then 10 pages a day times 365 days is 3,650 pages. That's a lot of, that's a yeah. lot of pages. Yeah. And so, and I'll go over if I need to, and I will, if I'm enjoying something, I'll read it on a weekend. But I think two things matter. One, don't worry about what you're reading. Like don't stress about how other people are going to judge it. Cause there's a lot of judgment around like what people read. And the second I would say is like, just set a small goal. Like, it can be a small number and the small number is enough to actually over a lifetime read a ton of books. Well, you make a great point. If I just kind of double click on that for one minute is like the, that's what I decide. And again, I say 18 books. I don't know if that's good or not. I'm assuming right. that's pretty good. I don't know. Um, I've <laughs> seen that I've almost, that was like the total of from zero to the age of like 33, I read maybe 18 books, right. you know? So, um, <laughs> The reason I bring that up is to exactly what you said. I turned it into part of my bedtime routine. I ah. I read and I don't, I don't cap myself. I'll read anywhere from ten to thirty minutes. Again, if I'm if I'm liking the book, it's flowing. I read a lot of um, of nonfiction. Mm -hmm. um, I, I've read a little. Actually, I, what's the one over here? Um, the Ocean at the End of the Lane by Neil Gaiman. Ah. That was kind of cool. Um, but uh, anyways, that was one of the 18 last year. But what I'm saying is like, I just read, I made it part of my practice. It's part of my habit. Um, yeah. Every night I just read. Do I miss nights? Sure. But it's interesting and because I'm so big, especially with this podcast of like the consistency yeah. over time. Yeah, I read, you know, like I read last night. Well, I'm not going to finish a book in one night. Right. But now all of a sudden you read over a couple of weeks. Like the last book I just finished was um, Stillness is the Key by uh, Ryan Holiday. Yeah. Well, I finished that in about three weeks or I think I think it was about three weeks or so. Um, but again, it's because I read a little bit almost every night and all of a sudden you right. finish a book. It's right. not it's not going to be done in one night. But if you keep putting the practice into your point of 10, yeah. 10 pages, 10 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever it is, you all of a sudden can knock these down. And I would say, especially like, you know, for people who like you, there's gonna be people listening to, to you and to this conversation who say, you know, they might feel like reading guilt. Like they might yeah. have like, Oh, I haven't read for a while. Like there are you at 30, you know, 32 yeah, or whatever. Right. 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 And they're thinking like, Oh man, I'm going to feel a little bit like this is intimidating. It's why, especially with people who are just getting the habit going, you know, read stuff that you enjoy and want to get back to right? right so part of the like part of what i like like so like from, for me how do i solve that history can be very dry but there are historians who are really good at not making it dry 
And so Candace Millard is one of my favorite history writers. She write, she wrote a great book on Teddy Roosevelt. She did a book on James Garfield. Um, her stories are adventure stories, right? And they're just like epic sweeping adventure stories. Mm -hmm. And so when I'm feeling like a little lazy about reading, I make it a, <laughs> I get a priority to like have it be like candy. Like it's like, oh my God, this is my break during the day when I get to read this thing. Yeah. I just think there's a, like, it's weird. Reading is this sort of innocent act, but it has all this guilt attached to it or people feel like they're not reading the right things or they're not reading enough or no, just the easiest thing, pick something you like, do it every day and pick a small number of pages, even if it's three pages. And if you do that over a long enough time horizon, you'd be astonished what you can read. Well, and one of the other things too, just to make one last point on that is it doesn't, I think one of the things that, you know, and I've discovered this a while back was like, it doesn't actually have to be a book. So I, I no. read books but I also read like every morning I get Seth Godin's blog to my, right. you know, it's one of the things I enjoy reading every morning and, and it's yeah. short. And can, that's kind of how the reason my blog is kind of micro blog ish is because of Seth. I give him right. you know, kind of credit for that because I like that style. That's how I, I kind of digest things anyways, but like reading that blog um, every morning, like that's reading, like it doesn't have yeah. to be subscribe to your favorite business, you know, newsletter. If you're like morning right. brew, right. Go listen, read that, whatever. Yeah. And I, 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 to your point, getting the act of reading, I think opens up so many doors and, and new ways of, of thinking. Um, yeah. And, and, and I think, you know, and it's at this point, like all the stories about like how much Warren Buffett reads and, and all yeah. the rest are pretty well established, but just because they're well established and somewhat cliche doesn't mean they're, you know, they're false. They're very true. Like where the, the value I think of reading is, you know, I spent five years and tens of thousands of hours, maybe not tens of thousands, but certainly a substantial amount of time writing the PayPal story. If you read the PayPal story, my version of it, you're getting the benefit of all of that work, right? Mm -hmm. You're sort of like that. It's all available for you in the nine hours that it'll take you to read the book or whatever the amount of time is. And, and I do think it's like a shortcut to rapid learning in that way. Um, it feels funny to even be talking about this, but I do think that in our culture, like it's hard to, sometimes it's just hard. Like you just got to find the time, right? But the way I find the time is I just I set very low targets. And then if I find myself enjoying a book, I'll just like continue to, to dive in. Mm. Well, that, that's a good maybe segue, if you will, um, to how did, so you could have said, hey, I love writing. I'm going to go be a writer and you could have, that could have been anything, right? Why did you decide to say, I want to publish the types of books that you publish? Cause your, your books are more, I guess what, what again, I'm, I'm a novice here, probably the terminology, but they're more like historically mm -hmm. significant, if you will, types of books, the varying stories. But why did you decide to go that route and actually become an author? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. Um, you know, some of it is you like fall into these things by accident, right? Um, so the backstory on my, my first book was a, was a biography of an ancient Roman senator whose name was Cato. Um, and it's, it's actually funny behind me. I've got, we just got like a leather bound edition of the book. Oh, wow. And I like, you know, it's sort of like author goals, like oh, somebody bound my book in leather. That's pretty cool. Um, I, had read a bunch of biographies of Caesar and Cicero and I went, went on Amazon. I looked for a biography of Cato and no one had done one. And so I called a college buddy of mine, Rob Goodman. And we, I was, <laughs> I, my pitch to him was like, Hey, let's do a proposal for this. If we don't get a, a like a, a contract, all we did was like spend extra time, like writing a proposal. And we learned how to do a proposal if we get a contract, we could like write a book. It's actually the extent of the logic behind it. There's nothing more than that. Um, and my market research was just Amazon. Like it was Amazon and saying, there's a space, there's a space on a bookshelf that needs to be filled. It was like sometimes how I describe what I do. I'll like look for a space on a bookshelf. And if it's, if it's empty, I know there's opportunity there. And it's super easy. I don't even have to like run extravagant SWOT analyses and stuff. I just get to go to Amazon type in a title of something I'm interested in and see what else is out there on it, right? That's how Cato came about. My next book was kind of like that as well. Um, I didn't have any deliberate strategy toward like becoming an author. It was, it was two primary motivating factors. The first is I needed sort of an excuse to write a lot that was not going to be like writing online where I felt like I'd like need a lot of self-discipline to like really do it well. I mean, I admire what you do. Like it's, it takes a lot to just like do it uh, and to build an audience. So like I needed like a disciplining mechanism 
And then the second was like books felt some books felt like some a place where like you get to spend time and rigor over a period of years as opposed to like a period of months and like produce something that has some weight. It has some finality. You know, there's like a physical good that comes out at the end of it. And most of my like day job work is like digital work. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's on computers and it's between screens. And like, there was just no thrill, like the seeing the physical book once it's done, it's like a a thing that you you've created in the world. Right. Um, And so those two forces were sort of what drew me to this was the, like this idea of just like, you know, learning and having an excuse to learn like book contracts or books in general are just an excuse to learn for several years. And then the other thing was like, there's some permanence about books that I really liked. And, and, and like, certainly five to 10% of it was like, I called Rob and was like, Hey, let's just do this. And it'll be cool. And if it doesn't work, it's not gonna be a big deal. Like we're both working in DC, where we're both sort of doing speech writing and political writing. Like, this is going to be awesome, man. Yeah. And, and, and Rob is indulgent and like agreed to do this with me. And that's how it happened. I think over time, like what, where, you know, as you mature, that was like a decade and a half ago. Um, you talked early, like at the opening about like mission and like, whether you feel like it's your mission, you know, I think my work for me has evolved. Like anyone's does, like you tell, you start to tell yourself a story about Mm -hmm. it. Right. Right. And, and now for me, it is actually the case that like, I know the thing that I can do well is tell history in a way that is relevant for someone living in 2022 Mm. and not make it boring and not make it homework and not make it like dull and tedious and repetitive. Like if, if I, if I will fail, if people like see my books as doorstops, I succeed if they see my books as something that they actually enjoy coming back to. And like, I don't always get it right all the time, but I do feel like at this point I can get like, I know where that like spot on the Venn diagram is Mm -hmm. where like, you're going to laugh and you're going to have fun reading it. And you're also going to learn something along the way. Um, and it's going to be historically accurate. And so that's evolved for me. But honestly, like when I started, it, it was like a, a, a Hail Mary pass would be giving it too much credit, right? Because like Rob and I weren't even on the field. Like it was me calling my buddy Rob and saying, someone should do this, that someone should be us because we're young. We should do it together. And we did it and it worked out. Um, there wasn't much more rhyme or reason to it than that. Is there anything that you can recall from let, that first book about Cato to the current one, The Founders, that you learned along the way that was kind of like, I ain't doing that again, you know, like kind of a big aha moment for you from from the first to the current? Yeah. Oh, boy, there's so many. But um I neglected the power of reading everything you write aloud and using that to edit. So I, and I would, I would recommend this by the way, to anyone, no matter what you are writing, it's the thing that I always forget to do. I never build enough time in to do it. And I always regret it when I don't do it, but reading your words aloud is about as easy and important an exercise as there is for improving as a writer. And there's like a few reasons for that. The first is when people read your words, they're hearing them in the ear, right? So if you hear them, you're kind of getting the feet, you're getting the reaction. You'll always find mistakes. You'll always find like clunky things you've done or like weird things where you're trying to be too fancy, right? Um, And then the last piece, like audiobooks have taken off as a third of the market. And so like a third of your audience for a book is going to consume it, if if certain kinds of books is going to consume it in that format. And so it just disciplines you to like, not be so frilly, don't be so fancy, right? Like use small words, all that stuff. Um, I didn't do that early in my career. I like wish I could go back and like kind of do that back then. Um, I do it now with everything I write. That's a good point. Because yeah, when even when you're reading, you kind of, even though you may not read it aloud, you just kind of, yeah, in your, in your head, you're, it's like a voice in there kind of reading yeah. it to you. So that is interesting. I would say I would say the other thing that you know this is less of a lesson and more of a, a reinforcement and it's probably good like it's what I tell anyone who wants to do this kind of work like I didn't know anything <laughs> you know like I'm not a Roman historian right I'm not an electrical engineer I did a book about a mathematician and an electrical engineer I'm not an electrical engineer I'm not a tech founder right like I I don't know the lives these people lead day to day it's not my experience being 
someone who doesn't know anything can be a superpower in its own mm -hmm. way. Like, yeah. And the reason is because as long as you're not like a total, like as long as you do your homework, part of what's nice is like you get to, I, I remember sitting with people like Reed Hoffman and, and, you know, Peter and, and others in this story. And I would ask questions because I, I didn't understand something, but because I didn't, I didn't have any stake in the industry. I wasn't like they, I was allowed to ask all of the questions, right? So I had some, I remember I spoke to someone once and I said, listen, I understand what an IPO is intellectually, but like, what is an IPO? Like, really tell me, like, what is it like? What's the process? Why do you do it? What does it involve? What are the hazards? And it got to a level of depth because I really didn't know the answers to those questions. And so someone had to explain it to me. I think if you, if you are somebody who comes into something fresh, you have permission to ask every stupid question there is, you know, stupid quote unquote, right? And so I, I also would encourage people who like don't know about a subject, like writing a book about a subject is a really, really, really good way to get smart on a subject, you know? Like you may not know something and you go and writing a book about it forces you to learn everything about it. Yeah, that's a good, that's a great point. Um, well, I want to transition with that to talk about the founders more in depth and a couple different notes. I want to start with reading something because I was, I, when I was doing some research prior, I was really fascinated by this. Let me just read it for everyone. <clears throat> this is a fascinating page turner about the brilliant and competitive innovators who created PayPal and went on to shape our digital world. The colorful cast of characters, including Teal, Musk, Hoffman, Lepkin, is amazing. Deeply reported, embracingly written, Bracingly, yes, bracingly written. This book is an indispensable guide to modern innovation and entrepreneurship by Walter Isaacson. That was a review um, for many that don't know that, but he wrote that great bio of uh, Steve Jobs and many others. That's pretty cool to have that as a. How does that make you feel before we get into that? To have to have that <laughs> as a review. Yeah, like it was. Uh, it was like like I think the equivalent would be like you know in those videos where like the publishers clearinghouse people like show up with a big you know like yeah. that's what it felt like. Because he's a, a writer I really respect and admire, um, and he's someone who, who writes about history but doesn't make it boring, right? He's written books about Da Vinci and about Ben Franklin and about Einstein, and those books are long, and they're very well-researched and incredibly well-footnoted, but they're also like, they're, you read them and you enjoy them, right? And so to, to get that kind of praise from someone like him, I mean, I was over the moon. <laughs> like, yeah. I was, I'm not going to be shy about that. It was, it was an epic, epic moment. Um, the other thing I, you know, Walter is serious in the, in the, like, he really takes this work seriously. So he knows what passes the smell test and, and what doesn't. And, um, and it was just like, you know, he's, he's a really, he's a tough judge of books. So it was, it was great. It was also like, you're sort of queasy when you know, he's like reading your book. Cause you're like, yeah. Oh my God, if you hate it, I might just like have to stop <laughs> and like go, go to medical school. Right. right. Um, and so, but it was like great to get that feedback from him. Wow. Well, I want to chat a few different questions on especially the writing process with the founders. So I want to go back though, because you, you mentioned this is like, you know, this kind of a labor of love. It's been like, what, a half a decade or so, I think of research on this. So share with me the ideation of finding this story. Maybe it was that gap you talked about in the market, finding this story and realizing this is one that need to be written. Can you share a little bit of that, you know, the ideation phase? Yeah. Uh, it's a funny story, actually. I wasn't supposed to write this book. I had written a proposal and done a lot of research for a biography of Bruce Lee. Um, and so I had this like thought in my head about Bruce Lee is this iconic figure, but people think of him as just this like martial arts guy. But he actually was like one of the patron saints of the self-improvement movement of his era. He was also a path-breaking Asian-American uh, actor and creative person at a time when there weren't a lot of those people in the industry. And like, he was sort of Jackie Robinson for that industry for Asian Americans. And so I had this like thought in my head, like he's a bigger figure than people think, and I got to do it and it'd be awesome. And, you know, and so I pitched this to Simon and Schuster and they were like ready to do it. And then it turned out that someone had been working on a Bruce Lee biography for like five years. And he, you know, he was like, he did martial arts and spoke Mandarin and like had all the assets that I didn't have. Right. Yeah. And so my editor was like, look, we'll still do it with you, but you have to know this other book is here. You're sort of going to be chasing, like you're always going to be chasing the connection to that book and like who did what better. And I was like, look, as long as he's done a good job, I'm, I'm good. I'm sure it's a great book. I started to just think about what other, like what other topics I wanted to write on. 
my in, for my last book, I had done a lot of research on Bell Labs, which is where this mathematician Claude Shannon that I wrote about worked. Bell Labs was a huge like collection of talent. It wasn't one talented person. It was like six Nobel Prize winners, actually more, but six Nobel Prizes. Um, they invented the transistor, touchstone dialing, improved on the bazooka. Um, mm. It was one of America's great factories of innovation. In fact, the best book about it is by a person who's become a friend. His name is John Gertner, and it's called The Idea Factory. Um, and you can almost like sort of like think about how literal that is. Like it was really a factory of ideas. So I'm thinking about Bell Labs, and I start to look around at like other clusters of talent. So I was like, okay, has anybody done the book on Xerox Park? So I go look up Xerox Park. I'm like, ah, dealers of lightning. Someone's done it. And then I looked at Fairchild Semiconductor. Someone had done that. I looked at PayPal. There had been a memoir written by a gentleman named Eric Jackson who worked at PayPal. And I got the book. I read it. I enjoyed it. But memoir has a limitation. You're always going to only tell, you can only tell a story from your perspective, right? Mm -hmm. right. And so, and, you know, Eric, Eric was a part of Peter Thiel and Max Levchin's company. He was not an early member of Elon's company, which was called X.com. Those companies merged to become PayPal. So I was like, I think there's something here. Like there's some room to run. I then, that, and that's what got the idea. Part of it started was I had this thought in my head that like, what if you went back 20 years later and talked to all of these people now about what happened back then mm -hmm. and you did it not as a memoir from one employee, but you did it. And by the way, there's a lot in Eric's book. That's fantastic. Like it's, yeah. Yeah, I, I've, I broke the spine on my copy. I've read it so many times, <laughs> right? Like it's like really, it's really, and I would recommend it to anyone who wants to learn more about the PayPal story. I had a different approach. My approach was, Let's let's go and go back to 1998 and really start at their like early lives, their college lives, like who they were, and then build up to how the company is created. And once I noticed that that wasn't done already, I did the next step, which was essentially asked like pitching Peter Thiel, like essentially saying to him, like, would you take the time to sit down for interviews about this project? And would you make a couple of key introductions? But the same thing as before, and I'm not pretending that I have any... There's no grand plan. My grand plan was like, pitch this 50-50 shot. He says yes or no. <laughs> you yeah. know, like you never know how this is going to go. And I was, you know, he was really generous. Uh, he said yes and, and then made some key introductions. But that's what happened at the idea phase was I was actually supposed to write a Bruce Lee biography. And uh, PayPal is what the, I pivoted to PayPal, you might say. Did you get... Um... Did you put the proposal in prior to getting the thumbs up from Peter or did you get that first? And that was your like, Hey, I have him on the hook. Yeah, I do, do this. I, do. I would have felt really uncomfortable proceeding with a proposal if I couldn't have the, like this, like one person's backing. I mean, he was one of the yeah. early people in the company, you know, he's sort of uh, he's the first money to Max Levchin to build the company um, it would have, like, I just would have felt like, like, what am I selling? I'm selling vapor, right? I'm selling like, yeah. it's not going to work. Uh, I don't think everybody has to do it that way. And like, there's plenty of books that actually go the opposite way. But I, 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 I will say this. I also wanted to pitch it to Peter because he's a reader. Like he's, he's very widely read. And if he thought this was a stupid idea, then like you actually got somebody who's like read a lot of books. Who's like, no, this isn't a good idea. Right. Yeah. Um, he did think it would, he, he thought there was merit to it. He said, you know, he, he, in our first conversation, if I can think back to it, he said, you know, there's a lot of good stories that weren't told. And he said, it was a really crazy time. And, and he said, and like, and parts of it, like, he's like, you know, it was just like stuff that you wouldn't even believe if you heard it. And I, and then he actually said, he's like thought about doing the book himself, but didn't want to. And he had done other thing, other books, or he'd done zero to one. Um, so I went and only approached the publisher sort of like in the process, but just like just after I knew that I had a little bit of daylight, like I needed a little bit of daylight. And then I was like, then I can drive a wedge to this thing. Um, but it wasn't, a, it wasn't like a, like a formal thing. It was more of just like, I, I have one of the key players and I think I could get to the rest with enough like shoe leather and time. Did you, uh, did you get a response from Elon? Yeah. I sat with him uh, for a lengthy interview uh, about this period of his life. I was introduced to him through, Luke Nosek, who's on the board of SpaceX, who was early PayPal. Yeah. And Luke, Luke very, he framed it for me perfectly. He said, the Elon's vision for this company has never really been shared. If you're going to do this story the right way, you have to share his bigger vision for what the company would have been. 
and I think you should talk to him. He he sort of brokered the uh, the the meeting, and I was able to meet with him and have you know some good chats, a uh, good series of email exchanges. Um, he also what he did that was really important was he pointed me to all the people that were around him in the early days that I should go talk to. And that was, that was really important. He said, he was like, look, there's like four or five people. You should go really talk to them. And that was also powerful. But so I did get time with him. And, you know, in 2019, when I first sat with him, he wasn't where he is today. Um, But obviously like his star has grown since then. I admit, freely admit, I don't know much, or I haven't looked much at the things he's done with the companies he runs today. I was really explicitly focused on, his college years, his post-college years, and then really the meat and potatoes of PayPal, which for him, you know, it's like 1998 to 2002. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, maybe it's just looking from my perspective and whether this is good or not, but I, I mean, just to underscore what you, do you think about it? Yes. You've, you've published a couple books prior. You had a publisher that's well-known, but the reality is, you had no background of PayPal. You had no, you had no ins to Silicon Valley to be able to get conversations. I mean, Peter Thiel is one of the most well-recognized figures in Silicon Valley in, in um, investing and those type of things. So to be able to get him and get Elon Musk, who's probably one of the, if not the most well-known entrepreneurs in the world, um, and maybe uh, some would argue, you know, of all time, maybe one of the the most, the brightest, um, at least with what he's trying to do. I mean, that's, I don't know if that's what that means, just saying that, but that's pretty incredible. Like, to, to, yeah, just to nice. show that, you know, that it, you can go, for, I, I think that what, what point I'm trying to hit home, I guess, is that you, you can go from quote, unquote, nothing-ish, you know, like, they didn't know you from Adam, right? to right. be able to get there to have those conversations and then build, you know, this whole story to be able to create this book. I think it goes to, you know, the idea of persistence and, you know, having a little confidence, obviously, but like, Hey, I'm, I'm willing to get rejected. If they say no to your point, Hey, right. if he said no, you know, I go another route, but right. at least to take that chance and to swing the bat and and now look where we are, you know? Yeah. And I, I would also, you know, I would add the one thing I would add to it is, um, my last book was was about a revered figure in computer science history. His name is Dr. Claude Shannon, and he's regarded as like one of like Alan Turing, Ada Lovelace, Claude Shannon. These people are spoken of in the same breath. So coming in, I think I was able to say to them, I, I was sort of I was sort of the person in their life that was not going to ask him about anything that was going on right now because I didn't care. And I think they knew, like, I'm taking a more historical perspective. So, like, here's a great example. When Elon first, on the, in, in chapter four of my book, when Elon first starts to explain X.com, I don't begin with Elon. I actually went back and I looked at the Wells Fargo website from 1994. And I saw this, like, cool sort of, like, historical um, nugget about how the website, like, didn't have any actual services and it was really slow and they put up these big images and they downloaded really slowly. I wanted readers to understand that this isn't the internet that you and I know. It's not me zooming with Brian, you know, uh, with crystal clear audio and video. This is like the stagecoach pictures from the Wells Fargo logo can't even download because the internet is so slow. I say that to say like, I think part of what I tried to tell, explain to them and the way I saw the project was, the late 1990s internet were a really incredible period in American life. And yeah, this was about PayPal, but it was also about capturing the, the like lightning in a bottle in Silicon Valley that was there at that time. And then tracing what happened when the bust happened. And so in a way, like part of the conceit of the project was this is about context. It's about this period in American life. It is about this company. It's about Elon. But I wasn't there to just like be like, what did you have for lunch on Tuesday? You know, like that sort of stuff. Um, there's a seriousness about this. Uh, look, I think with some, I think some people might be disappointed that the book doesn't, that the book dives into like product stuff or Metcalf's law or uh, what is freemium and where did the word freemium come from, right? I think there's going to be people who don't like that it's not like kind of gossipy enough, right? Or like hasn't like all those details, but like that wasn't what actually, that wasn't what I was interested in. Like I was interested in how do you build a payment system from nothing to something during one of the hardest times in American business. 
Like I thought that was cool. I thought that was like a cool yeah. story. I think that was probably part of what led people to say yes was their thought was, look, if this guy is just doing lifestyles of the rich and famous, we don't need that because everyone does that. He's actually like, he's writing the book that will be written, but we're alive <laughs> as opposed to dead. And so like, yeah, okay, let's like see how this goes, right? But I also, I don't know why they said yes, but they did. And I'm I'm really grateful that they did. Well, it's a, but again, it's a great point of the fact of you didn't just go in and be like, like if, if I called up, you know, whatever, insert whoever at SpaceX yeah. or, or Tesla and was like, oh, here, would like, a, I'd love Elon to be on the, the podcast. Like, <laughs> may, maybe, I mean, I've been fortunate to, you know, to have the Seth Godins and Guy Kawasaki's and stuff. I've been, I've been fortunate to have folks that I didn't think were like gettable in my eyes because I looked up to them for, for many years. But, you know, you get those yeses every once in a while. Right. But but and, to your point, you went into the angle where it's like, this is a historic book. I'm going to tell this story. I'd love to have you, you know, be a part of it because you obviously are were a part of it, you know, insert Peter or, or Elon or whatever. And they probably, you know, they probably geeked out a little bit was like, oh, I get yeah. to relive some of those days. I get to tell those stories. Those were fun times. So I think part of it was, and this is, I think this is for anything. This could be the simplest thing that you're going to email someone, you know, down the street or for a new job. It's like, what's the, what is the position point that you're making? Like, what is the yeah. value to them? If they're busy and they have a million things going on, what are some things you can do to, to your, I like your thought of like wedging in. Right. Right. Um, and, and I then, would say, yeah, you make it yeah, no, but I, you make it a yes. And I would add to, now that you made me think about it, I realized that I probably presented it in far more of a casual way than it actually took place. So I'll, I'll tell, I'll give a window into what it meant when I got a yes. So let's, let's take uh, David Sachs as a good example. You know, very prominent venture capitalist, very busy guy, has a million and one things going on. When I was able to get a time locked down with him, I spent almost every minute between when they said yes and when the interview happened, listening, reading, or digesting every word that he had said for 20 years. So I made these long spreadsheets of like, Every single interview, I would go on LexisNexis and type in David Sachs, print out every article, hundreds of pages. I went to school on them in advance. It was like it was like a really boring Rocky montage. Right? Like I would I would sort of become like I would I, I and the reason I did it is because if you have no time and someone kicks off with super boring questions, it shows they haven't done their homework. And so I don't want to make it seem like these were easy. Like once I got the yes, the yes was actually the easy part. The hard part was everything between getting the yes and the interview. And what I would do is I would go back and I would begin with the oldest interviews they gave. And I would watch, read, or listen to everything for like 10, 15 years worth of material. If I was going for a walk, it was a David Sachs podcast. If I was like in the car, it was a David Sachs podcast. I'd wake up, I'd read material over and over again. I'd highlight, I'd figure out quotes, inconsistencies, things I wanted to ask about. It also let me see where he had answered the same question like 14 times. So I could throw that question out because I knew how he was going to answer it. And if I asked it, I'd look like an amateur. Right. Instead, I was able to go in and say, this is the project I want to do. I'm going to, I have some questions for you. We can let the conversation flow, but there are some places I want to double click. So I, that part of it is the ice is like the iceberg right underneath. It yeah, was yeah. this massive amount of data information research. And I looked in weird places, man. Like I was like watching the C-SPAN archive and I went to congressional testimony that Elon gave about SpaceX when it was first starting out in 2005. You know, I found um, a guide to like raising children. He had contributed an essay you know, with Peter, I looked at the chess games he played to try to understand if there was some pattern in the chess games that I could ask him about. I mean, I went like way far and wide, but that was the work between getting the yes and doing the interviews. And it's the reason that I was often, um, when I would ask for more time or like a second interview, they would say, yes, we almost always had an engaging conversation. And I didn't just do this with the, with the folks at the top, by the way, this is with everybody. If someone had given an interview and it was available on YouTube, I had watched it probably several times before meeting with them. How did you, you mentioned a spreadsheet there, just kind of going into the, the note taking, or maybe this kind of transitions a little bit to that is like, how did you manage all of this information? How did you make sure that it wasn't forgotten? Yeah. So 
there's a few tools. Google Sheets was just like simple to like, the, you know, because it's based in the cloud, you never feel like you're going to lose it or delete it. Mm-hmm. That was where I would start with like first draft material, meaning like the actual links to the interviews and the dates and the times and like all that stuff. There's a software program called Scrivener that for long form nonfiction projects is really, really good. It allows you to like create folders. Just the UX is really good. Like the folders on the left keep your brain pretty sane. And so I was able to like track everything in folders. Um, There's a tool called ZBib. Uh, Yeah, ZBib. It's like a digital bibliography. That's where I kept like all the source material kind of socked away for a little while. Um, And then my actual like interview, oh man, this is like... I, I'm just remembering. In Go in there. I'm just remembering this process and like, oh my god, like this was like the scariest times ever. I would create like I have a Google Doc, like like a David Sachs Google Doc, and I would if I heard something interesting or I heard something or I wanted to double click, I would like take the podcast, take the timestamp, copy and paste the link, and I would sort of write my question out, and I would just do that over and over and over again. When that document got to be long enough, I would go through and prune and like trim, and then produce a document of like these are the things I need to know, right? Like, and then there are questions that I can't get the answers to from anywhere else, right? Within the book, one of the things that I tried to do is like, you'll notice that I cite other people's interviews, right? Because like they asked, they answered, they did it. Like they did it years ago. Why do I need to ask them the same questions? And so that's what I did is I used a combination of Google Sheets, Scrivener, Google Docs, and ZBib to keep all of this somewhat sorted. It was never a perfect system, but it was a system that allowed me to like ingest a huge amount of information. And, and remember the output at the first stage is just the good questions. <laughs> it's like literally like I still, I have the paper copies. So actually this is a strategy that I used when I was doing the interviews. I never used digital tools uh, in front of the person I was interviewing. So I'd always print out the questions. And the reason is because if you have a laptop in front of you or if you have an iPad in front of you, it changes the nature of the exchange. Mm -hmm. I would always print out the questions because it's paper. It's old school. And I would like come in and I'm like doing this old school history book writing-y thing, right? And it meant also that I was never distracted. Like when I was there, I was fully there with them because I had my questions on paper. I'd like rehearse them a million times in my mind. And the iPhone was doing the recording, but it was always almost always face down and I wasn't ever really paying attention to it. I felt like, and I've, I always feel like, and I think it's a good policy. Like if someone gives you their time, like especially someone that's as busy as some of these people are, like you have an obligation to respect it. Like you just do. Like, you know, they, they're, they could do anything with their like limited, like they have, they have no barriers on what they could do in a day. Don't do half-hearted preparation. There's like, there's no excuse for it. Yeah, that's a, yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. Um, how did, I don't know if I would ever write a book like you're writing. I don't know. That's not the type of writing. Like I may do more, um, like I said, my, like, you know, the, the, the self help type, you know, whatever help others. I like how Simon Sinek said, is it yeah. um, type of books, but because like sor- having all the sources and all, I read a lot of these books. I'm like, man, that's a lot. That's crazy <laughs> how you do all that. So here's my curiosity. Cause I don't even know how it's done is like, when do you start actual, like, are you writing and then interjecting as you're doing the interviews? Or did you do all the interviews, get all this stuff first and then write, and then kind of just go back to the interviews, listen to them if you needed to pick it up. How how did you go about that process of actually filling in the gaps? Yeah, I, for, it's different for every writer. If I don't start writing, I will, relish in the research for forever and produce nothing and so for me it's important to put pen to paper and i i operate on just like word counts so i would just hit a word count every day of like raw material created scrivener is really good because you can create the raw material and then just sort it into buckets which you get to see visually all at one glance and so i was able to like really get a sense of like okay i've under indexed on 99 i need to get more on 2000 i need to get more on 2001 simultaneously to like hitting word count totals, I was sending out hundreds of cold emails to people to try to just get them to talk to me. Cause some of the people I would just cold email and they would respond favorably. Right. And so the idea was, okay, you have to like interview while you're writing. 
And then at the end, you just try to harmonize it where you think, and like you try to listen to what you can. I had interviews that I did where I didn't use any of the material in the book, but they informed my understanding of different sections. They informed maybe a description or two, but I was writing while I was interviewing. You do need a certain amount of interviewing at the beginning, but you know, like for the work I do, like you know, YouTube is kind of filled with interviews that people have done of Reid Hoffman. Like it's like, you know, it's like not a shortage of this material. And it's really easy to pretend like, oh, my interview is going to be so different and so much better. No, that's actually probably not true. Like, I don't know these people or this space that well. So I have to listen to everything to try to make sense of it. So I was doing both at the same time. I, for drafts, so this is like a little bit into the weeds too, but every chapter in the book, Oh man, I probably like 11 or 12 drafts of each chapter, like I, like an actual like different Google Doc links on a big spreadsheet that's like my master document, right? Um, it Look, I, you know, I don't know how else to describe it other than when you're writing about these people, you have an extra level of like, you know, you, you have an extra level of care. Uh, you have to obsess a little bit. Um, I don't recommend, <laughs> I don't recommend this to anyone. Like it's, it's like, Look, you, you give up things. And for any for anything like this, you've you've got to decide what you want to give up. For me, that was giving up. I mean, almost all holidays, friendships. I worked seven days a week on this project. I was up at four o'clock in the morning every day, right? Didn't do vacations for years, like all holidays, all Christmases. It was, but it was total commitment because I knew the goal was really cool and big. And I didn't skip on time with my daughter, but I am definitely like there are friends who are very happy that I am done with this crazy project. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's the, uh, we can definitely probably go dive for hours on this even more. What's the, well, I was going to ask, you know, I, I could kind of take this in two parts. What was, what did you learn the most? And I know that's tough to ask, but from the process. And then secondly, I'm just kind of curious, what was the biggest aha moment and it could, you could take it from either, you know, from Peter or Elon or Reed or, or someone else, but maybe the biggest aha moment about PayPal that no one even realizes. Yeah, it's a great, those are both great questions. Um, the first one, what did I learn the most from the process? Um, obsession is, is a really good thing if, you, if your obsession is, leads you to productivity which sounds a little clunky, but when I was waking up really early to do this, I wasn't like dragging myself out of bed to do it. I woke up and it was the thing I was most excited to do more than anything else I was doing. I worked full time while doing this book, right? But I would wake up like raring to go at, you know, 3.45 or at 4 a.m. because I got so into the story. I just became like, fascinated by this place and these people and like this time in internet history. And I don't know why the obsession clicked. I don't know how it works for other people, but I do find that like the thing that I learned is that is a, a you know, it's a, it's a hell of a high. Like it's like when you can find that it's the most exciting thing there is. Right. Like, I hope I find that in the future. I'm sort of scared I won't, right? But like to be able to find something to pour that much commitment into is a very, very cool thing. And people were like, oh, well, what about this? What about this? And what about all the things you're not doing or giving up or whatever? But like none of that actually like mattered at all to me, right? Like I I rebuilt my entire life around this project. And I, I think I'm admitting more to you than I maybe have in other places or with other people, but I feel like I don't want to sugarcoat it because the, the, the usual thing authors do is they like, they write the book, they talk about the content in the book, but they breeze through the process and they have to pretend like it's easy, yeah. right? They have to, because because you're, you're putting on a show, right? Like I've had the author something, you got to make it seem like you just skated into this and it was so, and it really wasn't, it was brutally hard, right? It was brutally hard for a long, long time. I found that level of obsession and the tolerance of boredom to be things that I didn't, maybe I didn't know I could do, but I love it. I mean, it was so, it changed my life. Like meaning the ability to know that like there's a certain set of hours in the day where I can tackle this extraordinarily boring thing Mm. and it can pay dividends was really, really cool. And by the way, I, I don't mean like, yes, it was exciting to meet and spend time with some of these people. I mean, the boring, like going through thousands of emails that I got or listening to old interviews that other people did like that. 
I found that thrilling. I don't know why. I have no explanation for why. But I, I think that's like an important thing that I took away from it is like you can if you can overcome boredom and you can become obsessed by something, you can actually get a like a remarkable thing done, right? And then you you ask the question of like, what did I learn from them? And there are a lot of lessons, and you know, they're sort of subtly threaded throughout the book because this isn't a lesson book, it's a story book, it's a story mm-hmm. of PayPal. Um the the biggest takeaway for me is to have people around you that are love you enough to be very honest with you and like to be honest at a level that's going to make you uncomfortable. And I look to look to some of the people in the story and some of the interactions and they're not always pleasant interactions. And there are certainly like rivalries that exist to this day. But one of the remarkable things about this group of people at this time is the level of like very direct communication, like, like kind of keeping you on your toes Hmm. And I think like the thing that I walk away with is like, wow, I really hope that I continue to have people in my life like that, because that is a, that's so powerful. Um, it is, it is bracing often uncomfortable, but it makes you better, right? Like, it, like, it, like you have plenty of friends who will pat you on the back and say nice things about you. Yeah. I have come to value even more highly the friends I have who are like, you're wrong. I love you, but you're wrong. Here are the 10 reasons you're wrong. And I need you to not stop being wrong. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know, right, right. Um, I, I, I saw that, not that explicitly, but, but in this, in the founders and in this story, there are people like that who, who do that for their colleagues and it made everyone better. It's not perfect. It's like, and there's a lot of problems and drama, but at least on a friendship level, I think I've started to take note of the friends who do that for me. Yeah, that's uh, the two great points there, both on the, the personal side and yourself and then learning from, from those folks. Cause yeah, I, I think that's one of the things I've learned as well. It's like, you know, you look at your, you know, you can call it your tribe or your circle yeah. or whatever. It's like, you don't want all the yes men and women, you know, you want people that are going to challenge you in a, in a loving way. Yeah. Um, I think that's the only way that you, uh, that you grow. So I think yeah. that's, a, that's a great point for sure. And by the way, it's not like, it's not, it's not easy to find those people. Like, uh, right. you know, they are usually, usually our friendships come from like, you know, random interest or like some chance connection at a college or you shared a dorm or you sat mm-hmm. next to each other in fourth grade or whatever, you don't, no one intentionally goes out to like try to find friends or going to call them out on their stuff. Right. Uh, but you can start to notice the people who do, I think. And maybe for your, for, you know, for my part, like I've tried to start to do that more with the people in my life. Mm-hmm. Again, it's like, there's no like grand lesson, but it's a pretty important thing that these people do for each other. Yeah. All right. So the founders, 22222, um, everywhere online, what's the best spot for folks to get it? Yeah, Amazon. I mean, you know, it's, it's going to be everywhere, I hope. Uh, it'll also be available internationally. Uh, in certain markets now and more markets later. Um, and I hope people check it out. Uh, you know, it's fun to do. Like I, I say everything I just said, and I should also say like, like I said, obsession can be fun. Like I, you yeah. know, I, <laughs> this is sad to admit, but I miss, the, <laughs> I miss those mornings. Like I miss the chase yeah. and I miss yeah. the, like really having to think about every sentence in a rigorous way or every paragraph or scene, uh, you know, it becomes addictive. Are you doing an audiobook? Yeah, it's uh, it's done. It'll be released the same day. Oh, nice. Okay, cool. Um, I was wondering. I was like, who do who do who did you do the voice of that, or they they choose someone? No, else? they assigned somebody. It's a really long process. Uh, yeah. They don't tell you this, but you got to like take like a week or two off or whatever. You can't. You have to like can't use your voice. And I have a I have a six year old, and I'm pandemic parenting. Like I yeah. am not yeah. going to be able to like not talk to her for a week and a half. <laughs> oh. oh wow, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, more on that we can get into that. I'll tell yeah. you what, when you find your next idea that you're passionate about, obsessed about, come back on yeah. and we'll uh, we'll chat about it a little bit more. But, that sounds uh, good, and we should do it midstream. Like I should do it mid process. Yes, I, I would absolutely. <laughs> uh, I would absolutely love that. Um, I think that'd be fun. So let's keep in touch on that. I mean, Jimmy, this was awesome. I'm so glad to so have fun. you on, share your story. I mean, this was awesome to to kind of talk through. So yeah. I appreciate you uh, coming on the podcast, man. Thank you for taking the time to do it. It's like it. It, it's fun. I, I don't think authors are given enough opportunity to talk about the process. And in a way we're supposed to sort of hide from it. Right. Like, yeah. like I said, like you're sort of told like, Oh, you have to make it look easy. And I think there might be some value to that, but like, I don't, I actually think people benefit if they know some of these little techniques and tips and some of the bigger thinking around it, because then like someone could go out and do it. Yeah.
Hey everyone, just one more quick thing before you skip along in your day. You know, if you do enjoy this content or other things that I've put out, or just enjoy learning more and trying to adapt your thinking uh, to become happier each and every day, there's a couple of things that you may benefit from. Um, if you go to my website, brianondraco.com forward slash subscribe, you can sign up for my newsletter that goes out once a week. And that's really a digest of a lot of information that I gather throughout the weeks, whether it's a new video that I think could be informative or a podcast that's been valuable to me, book that I might read, etc. Um, secondly, I blog three times a week, and these are more micro blogs, one to five minute reads, short digestible blogs that'll send right to your inbox on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning. So check that out on my website, brianondraco.com forward slash subscribe if you think it's something you might enjoy. I hope you all have a great day, a phenomenal week, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Mm-hmm.